back to another episode of Us Anxious Folk. I am here with the lovely Steffi Kamei. Uh, Steffi is an immersive actor, a poet and a writer, um, and somebody who has struggled with agoraphobia and panic attacks and has found a way through. So I'm very excited to talk to Steffi. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here talking about anxiety. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Well, with that in mind, let's dive straight in. Tell me your anxiety story. Yeah. So it has been about a 15 year uh, journey. I, I, I first actually got my first panic attack when I was 13 years old. I didn't know what it was. I was the first day of high school and I felt like I was going to, you know, I was sitting, I was standing up in a room during like first day of school orientation, suddenly tunnel vision, suddenly nausea, suddenly felt like I was about to pass out Mm. and I passed. And now I know, oh, that was my first panic attack, but I had no idea at the time. And, you know, nothing had really happened. And then when I was about 17 is when I started getting them regularly, like maybe once a week or something. And, um, the first that, that I had really bad one when I was 17 at a Costco, um, which is like a big superstore, very, lots of stimulation, great place to have a panic attack. <laughs> and <laughs> I didn't know what was wrong with me. So I had, I was with my parents and I had them take me to the hospital because I thought I was having a heart attack. I'm yeah. sure everybody listening knows that feeling. Um, so we went to the ER and they ran a bunch of tests and were like, nope, sounds like anxiety. And I was like, that can't, that doesn't make any sense. But it started to make more sense as I reflected over the following days and weeks on what happened in that Costco. Um, I started doing my own research on it and uh, it became like, yeah, that was a panic attack. And that was something I dealt with the next like 13 years. I'm 30 now. Um, but for that, pretty much the rest of my teens and twenties, it was like, I would just have panic attacks seemingly out of the blue, seemingly random. And I would um, not, I would just kind of shut down or at some point, at one point I was taking Xanax to kind of like knock me out to yeah. get through, it, you know, mm-hmm. Um and it was not as sustainable as I thought it was, um, but that was what I did for most of my twenties. And, and there was a lot of mental health struggles. There was depression. There was OCD. There was disordered eating, uh, bipolar. You know, there was a lot that was going on. Uh, but the panic was very regular and hard to deal with. And it really came to a head towards the end of 2019. Um, I, a lot of areas of my life were not, I felt like doors were closing in every do- area of my life. My relationship was really unhealthy and really not good. Um, my friendships, I was feeling disconnected from them. I was disconnected from myself. I wasn't eating well. I wasn't exercising. I wasn't taking care of my health physically or mentally. My career was high stress and low reward. So uh, my family, things were, weren't good with that either. Like everything was just kind of, not I felt like this this constricting in my life mm-hmm. and it really reached ahead when the pandemic happened um yeah. you know it really everything came to a halt externally and then internally like it all came and so that's when I started becoming housebound and I didn't realize it was an anxiety response I thought it, it was so tough to tell during those early days of the pandemic um but things just start, I started having daily panic attacks, which had never happened before. And they were like, they would last for hours. It had never been a thing. And Xanax was no longer working. And it, there was, um, it was just 
getting so bad. And about a year I lived like that, lived mm-hmm. like just housebound and suffering every night for a three hour panic attack. It was like from five to 8 PM, like clockwork. It was really strange how that happened for like a year that happened. And then it kind of really got to a rock bottom summer of 2021. Um, I lost my relationship, my engagement, I was engaged. Um, and I had to move back to my childhood home, um, with a family that isn't very supportive. Mm -hmm. So, and, and, and so it wasn't a healthy environment and I was isolated from my friends because they were all, you know, six hours away, away in Los Angeles. And I was back home in San Francisco and, uh, yeah, it was just a lot, what am I trying to say? Like a lot of loss, mm-hmm. um, a loss of autonomy, a loss of my life and my career. I went after and I couldn't act anymore because I couldn't even leave my house. And I wasn't even in Los Angeles where all the acting work is, but there was also a pandemic. So there was no acting work. So it was, you know, like uh, everything was just gone. Hmm. Um, and it just got, I got very low summer of 2021, um, understandably. Yeah. And it became do or die that's quite dramatic wording I understand but it did it did um it became like I have to nothing changes and nothing changes I'm really scared to leave the house but I I I have to try something like I there's nothing left for me there's no more rock bottom Mm -hmm. so might as well be scared productively because I'm already scared so I and that's when I started September of 2021 a little over a year ago that I started doing the exposure work and started doing the work and it's been a journey, <laughs> but it has been a rewarding journey, which I'm excited to talk about. There's a lot of heavy stuff I just talked about now, but <laughs> I'm on the side of it. And um, that's, and I'm still, you know, going through the journey, but you know, the worst is over. I can confidently say. Yeah. So here we are. <laughs> wow. I, thank you for sharing all of that. And I, gosh, there was so much with what you said that I, really related to um the way you said doors were closing I I think anyone who goes through agoraphobia can really relate to that or even just you know panic attacks is that your life shutting off to you and for those who aren't um, watching the video version of this episode when Steffi said uh I lived like this you did little air quotes around lived because it it is like that it's you're living like as in you're breathing, but you're not actually participating in life. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think it's important to talk about that because I speak to a lot of people who feel like maybe others who recovered didn't feel as bad as they felt. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, talk us through, you said it was do or die. Talk us through sort of that mindset and that, um that willingness that you had to face the scary stuff yeah yeah um there was the willingness to like choose my hard choose your heart it's going to be hard staying where you are it's going to be really hard working through the agoraphobia choose your heart and I suppose I was lucky in a way that everything, I say the phrase, everything was taken from me. And so I just lost everything. And I had, it was um, not that it was suddenly easy to suddenly start recovery, but it was a little easier because it was like the alter. I know what the alternative is. It's staying exactly where I am, mm-hmm. where I have a support system, where I'm stuck in my house. I can't work. Like it, it just, the willingness was 
it was really a leap of faith. It was walking into the unknown, walking into the darkness, walking blind. It was mm -hmm. just totally putting my hands out. I'm going to get a little emotional um, in this dark tunnel. I'm just going, I know what's waiting for me here and I don't like it. Mm -hmm. So I might as well try. And if it's bad, I can go back. But I, I might as well just take a little step. And I, and I started with very, very baby steps. And I think that was the right call. Um, you know, the early days at Willingness looked like walking out to my car, turning on the ignition and crying. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's how it started. That was the willingness. Yeah. And it was hard. Um, but I was just willing to trust that there was a future that looked different, even if I couldn't conceptualize it. And it, it helped that there were people like you and people like um, Healthy Push and The Anxious Truth who are, they share their, you know, share your stories and they're so relatable. You spoke about being relatable. There, there's a video you, you, you put out called Life After Agoraphobia. Mm -hmm. And I cried in that video. I should tell you, like, thank you for putting out that video because it was like, I was like thinking, this is 99% my story. This is 99%, except I'm not in Australia. Other than that, like, this is my story. Twins. Um, yes. Like, I felt so like, oh my God, she gets it. And other people, there's people who have struggled and recovered, and they don't sound like they're superhumans. Not that you're not special and lovely, but like, it's relatable. Like, this is something yeah. anybody can get through. So if they could do it, why can't I? And that, that helped a lot too, was knowing that there were people that clearly did suffer as much as I was suffering and got through it. And if they could do it, why couldn't I? And so that's why I'm on this podcast now because I want to be one more voice like that because that's what really got me through. Yeah. I um, I just want to say, I don't think I've ever had a guest who made me cry this early on. Oh, <laughs> and we're only like 10 minutes into the podcast. Here we go. <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, oh, this is going to be a good one. Um, but no, that's, I, I love that. I think that's so beautiful. And um, wow, just that getting in the car and turning the ignition and crying, it is just that, you know, and there's a surrender there. There's that yes. sense of like, okay, you know, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. If I panic, I panic. Yeah. I've got nowhere else to go. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. So, yeah. And how long did, um, I think that's a question a lot of people ask is how long is it going to take? <laughs> like, when is there an end point? Um, how long did it take for you to sort of start feeling like, when is this, you know, that point where you're like, when is this going to get easier? And then it sort of shifts and it does get easier. When was that for you? It kind of happened in stages and like suddenly and all at once at the same time too. There's a few points I can point out. I did notice initially within like two weeks, once I started really practicing surrendering, not that I was suddenly panic free at all, but that I, because I was willing to show up, to show up and feel things. I was willing, I was able to stay out longer, like with friends, I was able to keep plans wasn't easy but within like two weeks I was already able to go place willing like rather than canceling all the time I was able to actually show up mm -hmm. have an okay time 
uh, but I was still there. I was living again. Um, it wasn't perfect. It was messy, but I was doing it. So within like week, which is lightning fast. Mm-hmm. Once again, very clearly that wasn't, I wasn't cured. I had a long way to go, but it was a start. Once the, sh- the mindset shifts and you, you commit fully to healing, that's the actually, I believe the hardest part. Mm-hmm. You still have work to do. Yeah, you do, but that's it. Now you're in it. Um, the next, oh, we're going to say something. No, no, more. go ahead. Okay. <laughs> the next point, uh, <laughs> the next point was fast forwarding a little bit about seven months. This, this, the biggest shift happened where at that point, you know, it's funny how anxiety and agoraphobia, different people have different triggers, but it's kind of all like this, the fear of fear, the fear of being trapped, the fear of not being able to run back to a safe place. For me, big triggers included being a passenger in a car because I didn't have control. I couldn't leave if I had to. Being far away from my house, my childhood house that I moved back into. Um, and like appointments, because like I had to be there at a designated time and I couldn't just, oh, I got to go. Like I had to commit to like being somewhere. Cause like, what if I have to leave suddenly because of the symptoms? Mm-hmm. So I bring it and, and restaurants. So these are like four things I'm bringing up specifically because uh, for seven months as I was doing the work, you know, whenever there was a plan made for me to like be a passenger in a car, for me to go somewhere, there was an appointment or a restaurant, I would always have to really plan it and calculate how my, what, what tools am I going to use for this exposure? what restaurant should I pick that one that's one that feels safe but challenging enough that I'm working through it effectively and it was all very like mathematical mm-hmm. thinking about it a lot and there was this one day April of this year 2022 where I was like I made an appointment to go um, view a venue for like a, a, a retirement party we're going to throw for my mom and I made the appointment without thinking wait should I think about this I just made it and then I texted my mom and said, so you're going to pick me up at this time. And then we're going to drive down there. And it was like an hour away from my house. And I had never been in a passenger in a car for farther than like 10 minutes mm-hmm. at this point. And I said, so you'll pick me up at 4.30 and we'll drive down there. We'll do the appointment. Then we'll go get dinner on the way back. Great. And as soon as I set my phone down, I went, whoa, wait, wait. I'm going to be a passenger for an hour at an appointment. And then we're getting dinner at a restaurant at night. <laughs> <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. And I started freaking out. I was like, I need to have a plan. I need to think about how I'm going to use my tools. And then I just stopped for a moment. And then I went, I think I'll be fine, actually. And if yeah. anxiety comes, I think I'll just handle it. Yeah. And that was a radical day. And uh, that was like huge. And the day went fine. I had a few moments of like, uh oh, uh oh. And I just worked through it. And it was perfectly, a perfectly fine day. Yeah. Evening. Um, that was a bit that that was like really when um the dominoes started falling, I suppose, or when all it was when all this work that I've been doing that I was not seeing as many results as I would like suddenly came together. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, but all at once, uh, or, or slowly, but all at once. Um, that was very rewarding that day, and you know, I feel like there was like an it was everything from there on out has been easier. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I would say the final final. Uh, not that I'm fully completely recovered. We can get into that too. Like I still have some things I'm working through, but um, another point I will point out is um, when, uh, so something I haven't mentioned is I had been, I'm from the Bay Area. I'm from San Francisco in California. And uh, when I was 20, I moved to Los Angeles, which is about six hours away. And I lived there for, until my panic got so bad, I had to move back to San Francisco, which is not where I belong anymore. It's just not where my community is. It's not, I don't like it there, um, really. 
but I was stuck there because of agoraphobia for like two years. Um, so my whole, a big, big goal for me, and it's very important to have a goal, I think, to kind of put, because otherwise you're not going to want to do this hard work if you don't have a very strong goal. And yeah. my very strong goal was to get back to Los Angeles because I love it here. This is where my community is, this is where my people are, this is where my work is. Like I, I thrive here. Um, and for two years, I worked my ass off with that goal in mind and but I was, I had to be patient with myself and like, you know, I want to go in Los Angeles, but today my goal is to drive around my block. Today, my goal is to drive across the Golden Gate Bridge. Um, today, my goal is like this and I'm all still staying in San Francisco, but that's where we are right now. And I had to be patient with myself. I had to trust the process and about a year into doing the work. So about October of this year. Another beautiful thing about this journey is that you start repairing your relationship with your intuition right? You can start to the difference between your intuition and your anxiety. Yeah. And it's my intuition started becoming clear and started saying, you've done the work. You can go to LA now. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what? No, uh, no I don't think so. <laughs> I work to do up here. And just for like a month, it was this calm, consistent, no, you're actually ready now. It's going to be scary, but you can do it. You're ready. You're ready. And it was so calm and focused and clear that I couldn't ignore it anymore and I was like I guess like it's not like it was as easy as me to go cool it wasn't easy as easy as me going okay I've packed a bag I'm going to LA like it took me a month of like crying over it every day going there's no way am I really ready oh my god it's gonna be so terrible I don't I haven't left an hour of my within an hour of my safe zone in like two years there's no way I can do six hours and it was intense Mm -hmm. but then um on Halloween of this year I did the thing (laughs) <laughs> I drove here. I drove here to LA where I am now. And wow. Yeah. Um, it was, I thought it was going to be a very slow, painful process. I thought I was gonna have to stop for like an, after an hour. And I thought I was going to make, it was going to be like a month long journey down the coast of California, which is what I told my friends I was going to do. I was like, I think it's going to be like a slow journey. And they were like, cool. Like you can like write poetry and be a beatnik down the coast. I was like, yeah, that's an adventure. I thought that's what it was going to be. Yeah. Um, instead, the first two hours of the drive were rough. It wasn't the worst anxiety I've ever felt, but it wasn't great. It was like, oh, you're far away. Oh God. <laughs> and it was. And I just had to do a lot of acceptance. Like, okay, I can panic on this highway in the middle of California. I can, I can do that. It's okay. And you know, when you do that is when when it dissipates, right? And so I just did a lot of like like let, uh, releasing the steam off of a kettle. It was a lot of that for like two hours. And I was like, okay, I guess I'm I, I reached the point where I thought I was gonna stop first. And my intuition was like, no, keep going. Wow. Keep going. And I was like, what? I was like, group is like, what? I was like having a conversation with myself. Are we sure? I don't know. This is and my, I just have a conversation with myself. My intuition kept saying, no, you can do another five hours. You got this. It's, it's fine. And I was like, okay. And I texted my friends and I was like, hey guys, um, I think I'm going to be in Los Angeles later today. And they were yeah. like, yeah, let's go because they knew like I was taking like a month and I was like JK I think it's happening today I guess I may make it terribly while I'm there but I don't know and that's exactly what happened I got in and I was okay and yeah. I've now been a month and a half and I'm hey I'm still alive I'm okay and I'm doing really well actually I'm really mm-hmm. happy to be here and I've just moved into a beautiful new house with this beautiful pink wall <laughs> <You're watching. laughs> um, it's it's 
you know, when a dream comes true, how do you even process it? I'm still working on it. I'm pinching myself every day that I'm here. Um, but that was the journey. <laughs> that's, oh, that's so amazing. I, that conversation you had with yourself and that, um, you know, you said I can panic right here on the highway. And I think that is such a big thing because it's that, you know, back when you're dealing with being housebound, it's that I can't, I'm not safe anywhere. Whereas when you finally understand that, you know, I can panic anywhere and I will cope, the yes. whole world opens up again. And you're like, yes. that's exactly it. <laughs> I think that's the biggest mindset shift is when you start realizing I can panic anywhere and you yeah. have to allow yourself that you have to give yourself the opportunity to show yourself that. And that's the hard part. But once you do like that, that was a mindset shift I started having around August, September of this year. So a little less than a year into this work is when I really started clicking for me. Like I can panic mm-hmm. 15 minutes from home, 20 minutes from home, an hour from home. And that's when the changes really started happening. Yeah. Yeah. And for you, you mentioned being a passenger in a car and that's always been a big one for me. Um, there were always lots of people who said, you know, I can travel with my safe person. And I was like, I don't have a safe person. If there's a person with me, it's not okay. Yes, <laughs> me too. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I, I, that also realizing I can panic in front of anyone, you know, mm-hmm. no one's going to, I mean, I, I didn't consciously think they were going to disown me or judge me or anything like that, but just, I just couldn't be seen freaking out in front of someone. And then now I just let myself do that. Yeah. It's yeah. okay. Yeah. It's really, it's really fine. It, like, it is. <laughs> it's actually okay. <laughs> Yeah. It's not, like everybody has like everybody goes through moments like they start crying or they start panicking or what it's it's just a phase like it's okay <laughs> that's it that's it amazing yeah. i um i wanted to ask about creativity because you're obviously mm-hmm. a very creative person um and i know in my experience i found that it can be a double edged sword i remember my doctor saying to me you know you have a very creative mind and if you're not channeling it in the right way then you know, you can sort of slip into darkness. And so how have you navigated sort of your relationship with creativity and how it relates to anxiety? I really like that you asked this. Um, I think I channeled it in a very positive way. I'm really glad you asked this question um, because I'm going to share something that I hope really inspires and gives hope. Um, So I'm, first of all, I've written a lot of poetry about it. And that poetry has been, you know, it's out publicly. I'm paid for it. I'm paid to write about how shitty panic attacks are. <laughs> it's, pretty, it's pretty cool. That's great. Uh, I um, you know what I mean? Uh, it's interesting. Um, but, and another thing I did, you know, there's a lot of, I've, ha- I've had this discussion with others about kind of getting forced to be creative in a different way. Like while you're dealing with the limitations of agoraphobia. Now mm-hmm. I couldn't, you know, leave my house to act and perform live which is what I love to do um but I still wanted to perform in some way so what I ended up doing was creating an audio drama over the phone because I so I could still perform but in my safe zone right it was an extremely rewarding atypical for sure but rewarding experience um I played the poet Sylvia Plath who has been a huge idol inspiration for me um and it's, uh, it was basically, you got to like interact with Sylvia Plath and 
it was very personally rewarding and it was a way I could be creative in a healthy way and navigate my and kind of like feel useful in a healthy way and feel like I was engaging in my art and creativity but in a way that was not pushing myself like it was it was something I could do at that time mm -hmm. so I was like so my days I would spend my days doing exposure work out in the world and then I'd come home in the evenings and perform this radio drama wow. uh, and it was like I'm really I'm just really proud of myself for like doing that because it was like a very rewarding experience and a lot of people found a lot like people would message me afterwards audience members saying that was so like you, you helped me like somebody told me that they helped that show helped them cope with the loss of their brother like really profound stuff yeah so many and it's just like the fact that you know I transmuted this pain and limitation and anguish into this beautiful piece of art that helps me cope and is helping others too and if that's not the most beautiful thing that happened this year in my in my life, maybe, um, I don't know. So it felt really great that I was able to harness my creativity in a way that's inspiring and helpful for me and others. Mm -hmm. That's the best. Um, and I do hear what you're saying also about kind of your creative brain can take you down darker roads. Um, yes. <laughs> and I, yeah, absolutely. I, I'm totally there I've totally experienced that I think as I've worked with kind of um part of this work is learning to navigate intrusive thoughts mm -hmm. accepting and allowing and going okay maybe that a big one that I learned uh wait like when an intrusive thought pops up is maybe mm -hmm. that's, you know like that's a really good one and I think that's so I'm as you asked that made me realize, oh, I don't really deal with that as much anymore. I my, my my I'm pretty good about navigating it, but it took, you know, it took it was a habit I had to build over time. Yeah. And that I've done that. It's my creativity is channeling more towards happy, joyful things and less uh or productive things and less scary things. Yeah. Yeah. I I wonder if um as you said, like having that outlet kind of transmuting that darkness yes such it sounds like such a healthy way of coping with what we all inevitably have but sometimes we don't have that way to express it and have that place to put it where it doesn't sort of fester inside of us <laughs> um, yeah that's amazing I I I love that and I tell us more about the poetry you said you know um getting paid to talk about panic attacks Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me more. Uh, yeah. Um, it's very rewarding. Uh, it's very, it's, I think it's a thing when you're vulnerable, there's like that huge fear that people are going to be like, oh, I don't want that. But like, even if initially the reaction is a bit, then people will lean into it actually when you're really just being authentic. It seems like a very brave thing to do to be honest about your struggles. But when you are doing this work and you're being honest with yourself, it's not really brave, it's intuitive. Like, mm -hmm. it's just natural to just be like, hey, this is something I'm going through. This is what it's like. And especially in the context of like writing, writing about it, whether it's poetry or a show or whatever, um, that's such an amazing, powerful thing we can do as artists is to reflect people's experiences back to them or reflect our experience and people will resonate because, yes. you know, you're, I taught, I was, it was a show about my uh, Sylvia Plath was also a show about like uh, that what I was writing from was my own depression and my own fears my own 
And it's not that people could relate to my story specifically or Sylvia Plath's story specifically or the poems I write. It's not people like people can relate to the breakup of my engagement, which is what I wrote a lot of poetry about or the agoraphobia. People may not necessarily relate to those specific life circumstances, but they can relate to feeling lost. They mm -hmm. can relate to feeling uncertain about the future. They can relate to feeling uh, panicky in general. They can relate to feeling um, like doors are closing on them. Yeah. And when you kind of express the feeling, though that's what's relatable. Even if the life experience is esoteric to you, the feelings are very universal mm -hmm. uh, and people will latch on to that. And it can help be very cathartic for them as well, I think. Yeah. So, I, yeah. That that authentic connection with others. And yeah. I'm glad that you touched on, you know, it feels like it would be a big thing to be brave and and to be vulnerable, but actually it's um, quite a release and quite a natural progression from when you start opening yourself up to your own fears that you're more than happy to open them up to everyone else as well. Because that's something I've noticed is as I've been more open, like, hey, I, I struggle with anxiety and agoraphobia and travel anxiety and things. What's happening? This just happened like last night, I think. I was talking with a friend. And they were like, oh, okay. And I was like, I know you don't really know about it. You don't really have to help me through it. It's okay. And he was like, yeah, yeah. And then he went, he just like launched into like his own like personal deep seated, like a, a very real trauma he went through. Yeah. And I, and I was aware, I hope this doesn't sound selfish. I was aware, like, because I shared, he shared, this is good. Like, yeah. I was scared <laughs> to do that, but like, and I was worried that I was oversharing, but I didn't like into nitty gritty but I was like hey this is a thing I'm struggling with and it's really hard and mm -hmm. gosh and then there was some space and then he shared and it was like and I could handle that and we could handle it together and that's the kind of conversations you start happening and that's just so good for everybody everybody yes. benefits um yes. it's pretty cool to see when you're when you're authentic which doesn't mean it's different from when you're like how do I say this nicely like desperately needing help so you're like and you're kind of like trauma dumping there is yeah. a difference between that versus being vulnerable mm -hmm. in a way that it, that's like boundaried and safe for everybody, but also honest. There yeah. is, it, it gets easier to kind of discern the difference and mm -hmm. that's when the magic happens. Yes. Yeah. I, I remember when I started blogging and making videos and I would go to parties, you know, early on in my recovery and I would have these real deep conversations with everyone because it seemed like everyone wanted to come up and tell me, you know, the dark things that they were going through. <laughs> I was like, are they just doing this because they think that I need to hear that they're struggling as well? But I realized that it was just that they felt safe to open up to me. Yeah. Um, and that, like you said, the world needs more of that we need to be able to be human and and see the human in each other desperately that is my very strong opinion yes <laughs> yeah yeah it's beautiful so I want to ask tell me what does a day look like for you now in comparison to what a day looked like for you when you are you know really struggling well the first thing I get emotional again is that I wake up and I'm very grateful to be alive and I'm very mm -hmm. happy and I'm very excited about whatever the day I'm very much, I have hope and I'm looking forward to the day. That's kind of like the most significant. I think when I was struggling, it was, damn it. I woke up <laughs> to be very frank with you. Yeah. Um, or it was just 
white knuckling. Oh God, another day of white knuckling. Um, big difference there, just mm-hmm. from the start. Um, a typical day, now I, I did just like move into a new place. So there's a lot, of, like, I don't quite have a routine down, but generally speaking, as I've been healthier these past few months, I um, med- I do some conscious breathing and meditation in bed right away within a few minutes of waking up. It's very important, I think, to start the day off that way. Um, I eat generally much healthier, I think, just wholesome, whole foods, you know, um, I think that, I think that's just very important, nourishing your body. I do yoga every day. And this is actually how we got connected is uh, you released a video about yin yoga. And I was like, yes, oh. life-changing. <laughs> yeah, like, the best. Like, hey, love your video, by the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yoga really connected me to my body again when I was so scared to be in my body because of panic and trauma and all that stuff. Yes. Yoga, especially yin yoga and yoga nidra, mm-hmm. um, which is body scan meditation. These practices were really vital and I've kept up with these practices they're they're daily they're non-negotiable I mean like you know sometimes I can only do a few minutes like before bed if I've had a busy day but like I still make time for it I make time for my health is really a big one I make time for my mental and physical and emotional well-being I meditate at least once a day I do yoga at least once a day or some sort of movement um my life doesn't consist of making plans and then going, okay, well, how am I going to navigate this? Cause I'm going to have this fear that's going to show up. That's just not, it's not a thing anymore. Um, very rarely anyway, it's usually like, yeah, I'll meet you out for dinner at five 30 at this restaurant. And, and that's just it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not like, there's not so much planning. It's not so much like anticipatory anxiety. Like that's just not a thing anymore. I can mm-hmm. just go and do things. Um, because I repaired my relationship with my body, with my brain, with my anxiety. And I, I trust it now. Like if I, if anxiety pops up, it's for a reason. And I'll ask like, what's going on? Mm-hmm. You know, um, as opposed to when I was struggling, when everything was just, I was just thinking constantly. Um, everything had to be thought about and prepared for um, and dreaded. <laughs> God, it's exhausting just thinking about. Um, so Matt, pretty big difference. And just a lot more acceptance. Like the reason why I'm able to wake up and feel like, okay, whatever the day brings, I'm ready is because um, I know I can handle it, which is a really powerful feeling. And that's one of the, I think the best gifts you get on the other side of agoraphobia recovery or panic disorder recovery is you are so, you're like, I am freaking Superman or Superwoman or super whatever gender. Um, <laughs> I, I can do... Like, I am capable. I am capable. So that's a really powerful gift you get at the end of it. Um, and yeah. that's how I move through my days. Like whatever happens, good, bad, and different, I, I will attach, I, I can choose what meaning I attach to it. Um, and I can handle it. Mm-hmm. Like I, I know what to do. Um, or if I don't know what to do, I know how to slow down until I figure out what I should do. Yeah, it's all great. It's just when you have that trust in your, I think it's a lot of it is rebuilding trust with yourself. Yes. Yeah. And when you have that, oh my God, you're unstoppable. You're yeah. so unstoppable. A hundred percent. I I think it's important to add to that and correct me if I'm wrong here, but you mentioned, you know, meditation, conscious breathing, yoga, all those being non-negotiables, healthy eating as well. Um, or nourishing eating, I should say, like what is healthy, yeah, really? Yeah, <laughs> that's what I meant too. Nourishing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I think there are some t- some people who are, I know, 
I'm just going to speak for myself, back in the day when I was housebound, I would have heard that. And first I would have thought that's a lot of work. And secondly, I would have related it to um, all these things you have to do in order to stop feeling anxious. You know, like are these just things you're doing to keep the anxiety at bay? Um, Whereas I think it comes from a place of really loving your body and wanting to be in your body, right? Yes. I'm really, really glad you wanted to circle back to that because it's not about what, like if I do yoga, the symptoms will go away. Like that's not the point. Mm -hmm. None of this is about getting rid of, it's working with and being with yourself and because or exercise or hiking, hiking is another thing I love to do. Um, These kinds of practices, whatever one works for you, the point isn't so much it doesn't have to be yoga or meditation or hiking or whatever. It, it's a practice where you're nourishing yourself mm-hmm. and it's a practice where you're honoring yourself and it's a practice where you're with yourself, whatever, like a, a healthy, a healthy practice. Um, that's what it's really about. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Love it. More than a, yeah, exactly. Beautiful. So this brings me to my last question. Uh, if you could have any piece of advice for someone who is struggling, what would that advice be? Oh, I want to give a big hug uh, to start. <laughs> That's not my answer. Uh, <laughs> I get it. I probably look right in the camera. I get it. Um, I think... I know it's so hard, but really meet yourself where you're at. You are struggling right now. It's not because you're weak. It's because this is really hard. It is really hard. I'm going to validate that. <laughs> like it, we're going to start with validation. Like it is hard. You're doing a hard thing. It sucks. And it's very unfair. It does suck. It is very unfair. It's really hard. Mm-hmm. And you can accept that once you accept that like you know what I used to be somebody who was a world traveler and now I can't even go to the grocery store for milk that feels bad but that's the reality right now see right now temporarily that's where you are so you meet yourself where you're at and what can you do you can practice going to the grocery store for milk even if your ultimate goal is to go to Thailand and Singapore one day I'm talking about myself (laughs) Um, (laughs) right now today today you're going to the grocery store for milk that's what you're doing. And this is your, this is where you are right now. And you might surprise yourself with how much purpose you feel and how good that feels that you are solving this problem and being effective and changing the foundation of your life. And you're starting to see results and it just starts piggybacking on itself just from those small steps. So I feel like I was a little long-winded here. Basically meet yourself where you're at, baby steps, Seriously, start with, I think that's a big piece of advice. Like start with baby steps. My, I was trying to make six hour drives back to LA. It wasn't working. 30 minutes in the drive, I was panicking. So I had to start with sitting in my car, turning on the ignition and crying. Mm-hmm. And now, now look where I am. So that's how it goes. Meet yourself where you're at, baby steps, validate what you're struggling with. Cause it, it, it's freaking hard, man. It is, it is. Mm-hmm. I, that's something I was telling myself like, I would beat myself up so much. It's like, it shouldn't be that big of a deal. When I was 25, I backpacked down the coast of Japan. Now I can't even get in my car. It's like, yeah, right. You know what? Something happened and you can't. 
that's okay. Like it is a hard thing. Everybody, everybody's entitled to a bad time in life. And this is your time, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, which is okay. Like, and it's temporary because you're doing the thing to get better. So yeah. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. I, yes, <laughs> got tears, <laughs> got tears as usual. Um, But I do want to ask you just before we go, you mentioned Thailand and Singapore. <laughs> what is next for you yeah um I mean really at this point it's it's traveling outside of California which is something I've done pre-agoraphobia and something I'm really looking forward to I've I have a lot of opportunities I've you know it's funny you ask this I've um I have kind of an open invitation to go to Arizona which is one state over and uh you know I haven't so I'm having anxiety about it. It's an open invitation, which is nice. That take really some pressure, but um, that's a goal I would like to meet within the next few months. Mm -hmm. You know, I'll happily update you when that happens. Um, and then from there, uh, a couple friends and I bought tickets for a Broadway play in New York City. So I got to get on a plane in July because yeah. I'm missing that because I'm seeing Back to the Future the musical. It's happening. <laughs> I'm not missing that because of a good that's, that's a worthy cause. <laughs> it's a very worthy cause. So New York's amazing. So that I have a friend in Seattle who's having a baby soon. I want to go visit her and the baby. Um and uh so in terms of like kind of like those big goals, it's like those big big travel goals, right? Okay. Other than that, continue to transmute this experience into art. Yep, doing that. Uh and whether it's through writing or through a show, you know, to be determined, but it's going to be something. And um, helping people like doing podcast interviews, doing interviews or doing my own video. Like, I don't, I don't know quite yet, but I'd want to put the ladder down for people, you know, the way other people did for me. So yeah, it's very abundant and it's very rich, hopeful future. Um, after so long of not having darkness in the future, it feels pretty great. <laughs> amazing I, this world is lucky to have you willing to throw yourself into it and share and um, I'm very grateful that you spent the time with me today and shared your story um, thank you thank you so much thank you thank you for sharing your story you helped me you helped me a lot I know you're helping a lot of people so um, I'd like to think I speak for everyone listening when I say thank you that that video, Life After Agoraphobia, look it up. It's, <laughs> thank you. It. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for thanking me. Yeah. <laughs> so if, if people would like to get in touch with you, because um, holy moly, you're such a bright spark and like your energy is just so relieving and nice. Oh, thank how, you. <laughs> welcome. How can people get in touch with you? Well, um, yeah, Instagram is a good one. Um, I am at some laughing ghosts. I'm sure you'll put it in the show notes. It's yep. word some laughing ghosts. Please um, follow me there. You know, slide into my DMs. Happy to chat about. <laughs> I really am. Um, that's probably the the best place to find me uh, at this point. Um, yeah. Awesome. Thank you, Stephanie Kamei. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Us Anxious Folk podcast, the podcast for the chronically overwhelmed, perpetually panicked, anxious folk in all of us.
If you would like to find more about me, you can find me on YouTube at Lauren Rose or on Instagram at Lauren R underscore Rose.